Welcome to This Week in Startups. It is Wednesday, May 11th, and Jason is already on a plane to Miami, but he stayed around just long enough to do a show with me. We have got an update on Airbnb's new features. Uh, I have already started my search for a vacation involving both a castle and then hopefully uh, a trip to the Northern Lights in the Arctic. We're going to break some of those down and talk about Airbnb's discipline as a company in continuing to innovate even into a potential downturn. Speaking of a downturn, we also dig into Coinbase's filing this morning that sent some investors into a panic in which uh, Coinbase speculated on a hypothetical situation in which it could go bankrupt and what could happen to coins of yours that are held on Coinbase. And then we speculate on what actually could cause Coinbase to go bankrupt. Uh, then we've got Ashley Carmen from Bloomberg to come on for a quick update on what is happening in the world of podcasts, including Facebook, getting in to the podcasting world and out of the podcasting world in 13 short months. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Lemon.io. Need to speed up your product development without draining your budget? Hire vetted engineers from Europe at Lemon.io. Go to lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off for the first four weeks. Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And Coda. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools, or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Hey, welcome to Wednesday. Wednesday. We're, we're just getting to the top of the mountain and we're going to have Feel great. eyes on the descent. Feel great. You're here with us and we're going to slide down. I'm getting on a plane to Miami. I'll see you all there. I got to do a little walkthrough, you know, check stuff, Molly. You are a detail beast. I am not trying to flatter you, but I've never oh. seen anything like it. Oh. Like audience, you have no idea the level <laughs> of detail that, ju- that Jason is aware of, brings up, thinks about, like it is, it is <laughs> Go ahead, tell quite- <laughs> It's what just, example stands out in your mind that's making people lose their minds? <laughs> I mean, he's like, do we have umbrellas? Do we have like a, a person over here? Is there going to be a this thing? Is there a room for this? Is there this? How many yeah. sandwiches are there? Whoa, 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 whoa. I looked into this quote and there's like six things in here that don't make sense. Get rid of this yeah. one, this one, this one. Nobody should be charging you for that. Who is it? And I'm just like, yeah. how many jobs do you know how to do? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I never had resources to hire anybody when I had the magazine, when I did events. So I just was like, I would just use my common sense. And people were like, okay, yeah, we'll do catering. It's $175 a person. I'm like, you're like, I don't explain that to me because a sandwich is 10 bucks. Yeah. And a soda pop is two bucks. So where's the other and you you give it a cookie, that's $15. And you got to deliver them. Okay, so that's 100 bucks for the delivery. Like, where does the other 150 come in? Well, that's our profit. I'm like, you guys make $150 on it. $10 $10 sandwich with a cookie. <laughs> I mean, I'll just go buy them myself. And they're like, yeah, you can do that. I'm like, okay. And I would just hire people. Right. And then send them to delis and buy 100 sandwiches in boxes and put them in the front. I literally did that. I'm not doing that this time for I, all this I stuff. Mean, I have I caterers it. and stuff. But yeah. I, I will look at the thing and say like, 
okay, if we're going to have a gelato station, how many people is it serving? And they're just like, because people are just like, oh, do you want gelato? $18 a person. And I'm right. like, you're like, I'm sorry, what now? And they're like, yeah, it'd be like $30,000. I'm like, how many servings of gelato? They're like 500. I'm like, okay, $10 a serving, $5,000, $1,000 to bring the cart, $6,000 is the right price. Boom. And, and, and you can have like a reasonable discussion with people. What's so awesome is it's also the fact that like, you thought of the gelato station in the first place. It's mm. not like some caterer was like, we should have a gelato station or an event thing. Jason's like, I want a gelato station. People love that. It's going to be over here. It's going to look like this. Don't pass stuff. Here's the thing at parties. Leave all this in the show, by the way, because this is good stuff for people to know. You know what? Everybody wants to pass stuff. I said, enough with the pass. That's pasta. the worst. I, if you I want gelato. How the hell are you going to eat a thing? Exactly. And then I don't want to be like chasing the person. Just yeah. tell me what the freaking gelato station is. I'm going to go get a gelato. Then I go find my wife. I say, you got to try this gelato. I want to go back and find the gelato. I don't want to try to chase a waiter around. And it's a waste of time. Why do we have to have all these waiters here? Nobody wants to find the waiter and to get a little. It's labor. It's unnecessary. You put a gelato station. People come up. They see all the gelatos. Then I was like, hey, how about a dessert wine and some biscotti and some grappa? Set up a station for that. I like stations. The food's behind the counter. It's not a buffet. I like a station. Yeah. And then they do this Italian stuff. And I'm like, this is great Italian food. But where's the steak Florentine? They're like, oh, you know, we didn't think of that. And I'm like, you <laughs> come on. Are you even, do you even Italian, bro? I'm like, and then they're like, oh yeah, we're going to have like, you know, we're going to do the Havana party. I'm like, okay, where's the churro? Where, you know, like, let's go. Let's have yeah, good food here. So I mean, I'm like really doing the detail stuff. We're spending I mean, a million, the detail stuff. Million I'm not dollars trying to butter you parties. up here. I'm just saying no, it no, is no. like I mean, watching a maestro. He's just like <laughs> plate, 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 plate. Yes. This steel memo over here, and the da 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 da, and, and then the like the churros and the gelato. It all comes like, from my my dad. When I worked at the restaurant, he just told me details matter. Yeah. He was like, "They do." You know the way I cut the bread and brought the butter to the table when it got to the table. You know, just I love when that. we took the bread and butter off the table. There was a reason you did things, and I was like pouring water over people's shoulders, like, "No, no, no, take the glass, bring it over here, pour it over here." I'm like, "I can just do it like this," and he's like, "You're gonna spill it on." So eventually, I spilled it on some poor lady. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it my dad's way. Take the glass off the table, pour the water, you know, over the ground, not over the person's lap. And I, it's, uh, you know, you ever been at a table and some bus yeah, boy is that. like over your head I with the water and you're like, come on, right bro. here too. Like it's just an yeah, armpit, no. right? Too yeah. close, too close. Yeah. Take the glass, move it over, you fill it up, you're good. Yeah, and then there's like really refined things. You know, you, you, you got that water glass, you need to look at the glass, Molly, how much ice is in it? Okay, there's no ice left? Well, I'm not pouring water in that glass. The person's a slow drinker. Now I'm taking the, the pitcher, I'm turning it sideways, pouring it sideways, so I get some ice over the lip. Mm -hmm. So I get ice in their glass. Now, if mm -hmm. their glass is still filled with ice, they're a fast drinker. I'm going to take it off. I'm going to use the little spigot at the tip. So I'm just pouring water on top. I don't need to pour more ice into it. It's going to overflow. Wow. It's a little like detail. Yeah. So, you know, when he, he taught yeah. me how to pour a glass of wine, you, you pour the wine, and you just do a little twist at the end as you're lifting up. So you're coming up on the angle and twisting the bottle. That last little drop then spins around the top of the wine bottle and doesn't drip on the tablecloth. <gasps> I do love that. Whenever I see that, I'm always like, well, because it's the it's worst. Very it's very simple. It's a little mind. twist. You got a little wrist there. You get a little, a little twist, twist and, and up. Twist and up. And you keep it right above the, the glass. So if you do happen to, hmm, not the end of the world. A little drip in the glass. Nobody's mad. Nobody's mad. No, nobody even notices it. So Rachel's details like, matter, Jason folks. is all actually doing all of this at the all <laughs> He's going to have a wine pouring lesson you could learn anything well i mean listen the, the poor people who have to work for me have to suffer through this as well because i'm like this deal memo how did you write that opening sentence like 
there's a and they there's do a have to get the gelato stand on one week's with notice. The name. <laughs> you got your own version of the gelato stand. <laughs> I'm like, well, where's the stracciatella? Let's go. How do you and not have what stracciatella? comes out of it? Great. Well, I mean, experience matters. And speaking of experience, in our first story, yes, Brian Chex, uh, Chesky, who emailed me today, is coming on the pod, by the way. Great. Emailed me today. And he was like, hey, when am I coming on your pod? And I was like, absolutely. We'll do that right after All In, uh, uh, right after All In Summit. Uh, so Brian will be on and we're going to we're going to go over the history uh, of Airbnb and the lessons he learned There's so so much there. I hope it goes into a two parter. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So uh, yesterday, Brian teased and, and I think you brought this up last week, Molly, that tomorrow morning Airbnb will be different. Yep. And I watched the video of him explaining it. You could see the joy in his face. They have been very slow about changing that product. They were they've been very methodical. So um, I don't know if we should play his video clip or do you want to describe it first, Molly? Um, it's a little long. Perfect. So what we can sports guess it. Yeah, that's All right, Molly sports guess. That's it. Here we go. Perfect. So if you're not watching, right. if you're listening to the pod, youtube.com slash this weekend, hit subscribe, hit the bell. Uh, and you can find this video there. All the shows are numbered and dated. But uh, producers here, editors do a Which great Jason job because he made sure because details because details matter. <laughs> but you'll, you'll see a lot of video in here. And you know, here's the thing about details, Molly, you know, what details, uh, the, the, the trick to doing details is you just look at each little thing you do. Yeah, you say, can I think of two or three ways to make it five or 10% better? Sometimes you can't, in which case you ask somebody else who's an expert. But if you can, then you just share that with people. Hey, would this be better? And you can you can phrase it like a question to your team. So sometimes you'll see me, you'll see me say to the team, would it be better? That's me floating the idea. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's obvious that'll be better. Right? Like in this case, playing a short clip on a sports guest is better. It's like, yeah. let's do that. We don't need that whole six minute video. It's too long. No, people can All watch right, it cool. on their own. So here we go. Let's uh, let's bring it up. We'll see what we got here. Okay. What our first clip is here. So okay. the big thing that they the big thing that they announced is this this change to search, which feels kind of incremental at first, especially since he was like Airbnb will look totally different and it's going to be a magical new experience. However, mm. it is the more you watch this video, yeah, cool. super cool. Like let's just say that you were like I don't know. I need a vacation idea. I'm going to go look for a castle. I'm really yes. into surfing. I want to go to a, a really design intensive house. I want to find a tree, a tree house, house. Is one of the examples. Yeah, exactly. I want to go to the Arctic. I want a bed Super and breakfast. Cool. I want to go to the desert. And then it will give you options in all of those locations. So you don't even really have to pick like a town or a state. You kind of search for the experience first. I, dare first. I say... You pick a vibe. You pick a vibe. <laughs> I mean, totally it's a vibe. Do. The new it's app, Brian, team, Joe, everybody over the congratulations. Pick a vibe. Mm -hmm. Like if you want the Arctic vibe, I mean, you, you just kind of pick your vibe and you go. It's it's kind of like the Spotification of uh, Airbnb. Oh my God, I mean, it's like a roll your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, you know, details matter. How many times do you want to take a vacation? You're like, okay, Palm Springs. But you might just want to be somewhere hot. You might right. just want warm, and it's just the only one you know. Sunny, about. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, warm, sunny Palm Springs, Pool. but you may not know about St. Louis Obispo. You may not know about what's that place everybody goes outside of LA. That's like a bunch of hippy dippies. I forgot the name of it. Anyway, it's a lot of hippy dippy stuff. You know, you can go to, and uh, you know, I think it's a nice way to navigate. I if that's it. a category. Hippy yeah, dippy. Joshua Tree is another There's one. Hippy dippy categories, which is great. And you know which what? Is great. You saw this. Sometimes um, the street finds its own use for technology. Shout out William Gibson. 
Um, and what he meant by that was like, you put the tech out there and the, and the, the individuals will find a use for it. Mm-hmm. You saw this where people were creating landing pages or listicles on BuzzFeed. Here's the best tree houses on Airbnb. So people have been doing this for a long time, but to Absolutely. integrate it into the product, um, I think is a really neat idea because what you're saying is, yeah, you may have like moments where you're going to all in summit and you want something and Brickle is it called the art districts, so you want something and, you know, South Beach, whatever. But you also may sometimes just want to hit a vibe, right? When you're scaling your startup quickly, hiring engineers can slow you down like nothing else. Don't I know it? Well, here's some good news. Lemon.io will find you the perfect candidate in 48 hours. What's Lemon.io, you ask? Well, they're a marketplace of engineers from Europe. They're going to match you with a candidate within 48 hours. And if it doesn't work out, they will replace the developer right away. They test and interview every developer to eliminate the risk of a failed project. And guess what? When you hire in a European time zone, you'll have your developers working 24-7. What a competitive advantage. So launch portfolio founder Drew Fabricant, he said Lemon.io was a game changer for his startup Scout, which is a lead gen platform. Drew was under the gun to hire a developer with a very specific skill set, and Lemon.io delivered a great candidate and they were a pleasure to work with. Not only did Drew find exactly what he was looking for, but Lemon also delivered them a second engineer just as fast. So if you could use a full-time or part-time developer to run your projects faster, go to lemon.io slash twist. That's lemon.io slash twist. And you'll receive a 15% discount for the first four weeks of work with a developer. You want to discover. It's actually, yeah. it's like the playlist, right? The discover yeah. playlist. It's just Win-win. like that. Yeah. So you can, so your house first, basically your stay first, mm-hmm. which is great. There are these 56 categories. And then, love and it. I love this because if you are splurging on a big trip, mm-hmm. you may want to go to places within that trip, like spring break. I went to LA and Palm Springs. So what it will also now do is suggest split mm-hmm. stays, AKA two different homes. It will create an itinerary for you. Like, okay, well, I see Mm. that you're going to Joshua Tree. You may also want to spend a couple Mm. nights in a yurt in Zion. So here is literally an itinerary in a box. What I really would love down the road is because I just always need a tiny bit more is if I could be like, I'm going to France, find me three houses in this region and have it just be like, right now, it seems like it's suggesting the two up front. Listen, I'm not mad at this. I love this feature. It's great. It's so yes. great that it made me want more. <laughs> well, uh, DoorDash um, has like a second order feature. And um, when you when you order from DoorDash, have you had this experience where they upsell you on a double dash? Yeah, totally. So this now do you is want super... some ice cream or do you want a cookie? Yeah, this the so they're like, get... you ordered your pad thai. I don't know why anybody would order that. Like it doesn't travel well. Let's try one more time. Yeah. I don't know. You order your salad, whatever. Uh, and you. Pad details. Whatever, details. details. Like, pad thai <laughs> just comes as a brick of like gelatinous goo. It's just, I've like, never ordered. They can. Yeah, that is, yeah. Anyway, you order your ramen, Thai shokin style where they put the broth over here and the noodles over here. And then it's like, would you like boba? Now mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're taking the things they know are very fast that are in walkable distance. Driver parks, get your ramen from Thai shokin and now they go to boba guys or whatever and grab the boba. You're locked in. And mm-hmm. so... This is um, a very cool, like, double dash kind of feature. Um, and it and will it's extend. it's great for the hosts. 
great for hosts, mm -hmm. spreads the love around, and it's great for the experience because it is kind of cool to experience two different styles of vacation. Um, and, and it might even to, extend your- I mean, to book it one click? Like, yeah. to just be, a, not have to, not have to search, right? Like, okay, I know that I want to go uh -huh. to this uh, region near Switzerland and There's I know another I want to go to another place. Yeah. There's another reason. They, uh, I just can't believe I missed that. This is about inventory. You ever try to go somewhere for 10 days and they're like, yeah, you got seven days in this Palm Spring house. Yeah, but what about the weekend? They're like, yeah, somebody already snipered that. No weekend for you. Mm, what this is about is when you smart. go on a seven to 10 day stay, they know that it's hard to find seven to 10 days in a row. So the reality might be that you then go get a hotel because they are available for 10 days, seven to 10 days. Uh, and now you can hit, you know, the, the, that one great house and like, oh yeah. And then how about this yurt? It may not be that they want you to go to the yurt. It might be that the killer Palm Springs, you know, 1950s architecture house just isn't available for the weekend. And they yeah. just found you a way to book and solve your problem, which a lot of people do. They're like, yeah. oh, I got this place for seven days. Let me find another place for three days. So they just, they're solving problems. It and, also you know, seems to solve a little bit of a discovery problem for hosts too. Like I would have, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, clearly, and I'm curious to know on the back end how the hosts mm -hmm. get to be included. Like included. How do uh, they get things? Yeah. And photos. The super they host are thing, probably. super into photos. Yeah, it's a super hosting. Your ratings matter yeah. and your photos matter. So what this also does is create a competition to get on those lists. You get yourself on that list, man. Oh, my Lord. So now everybody's looking at that saying, how do I get on the OMG category? Because mm -hmm. they got some weird stuff like I could pull up some OMGs here, but like people put the a submarine, submarine in their backyard. Like they a got train a, car. Yeah, you know, you got like a windmill. It's crazy, crazy, wacky stuff that, you know, I want Ooh, ski and ski out. Well, I got that covered. Hey, oh, <laughs> little Jake Al dunk there. But um, if someone wants to come ski with you, they might need to. Oh, so my God. What, Molly why is gets, there an octopus Molly gets tentacle? Shot. Molly gets first shot. Talon, we take care of Talon. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, but your kids will get in there, too. Uh, Nick and You and, can say in a windmill. Say in a windmill. Uh, oh, my uh, kids would love whoa. to stay in that alien. A uh, little yeah, UFO flying saucer. Yeah, the flying saucer. There's also, and I don't know if this was on here before, but there's camping. Was there camping on Airbnb before? I think that no, you there's rent that a camping or glamping. I think people were able to put their camping inventory on there, but there's uh, Hip Camp is a competitor. We had them on the pod, very, very smart. I tried to invest in that company, I missed it. Yeah, that um, company is cool, I like that. I think they're obviously going to go right after Hip Camp. Now, Hip Camp, I think is land, as well as like your setup, like we're seeing here. Right. So this is it's great. You know, people want to uh, forest bathe, which I think is actually a thing. Like hanging out in a forest is good for your body and soul, I think. Um, for humans to just get out there. I know uh -huh. I'm starting to sound like a hippy dippy over here, but I kind of feel that way. No, it's so, uh, it's pretty it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yep. I want to put a yurt on my property. I got a couple of acres here, and I was going to put on oh, a yurt. Yeah, my hip camp. That that's how it does work because it's people allow for camping on their private land. I also saw, by the way, as we were scrolling, that there are 6,500 houses available in the Arctic. I would like to do that. I want to go. I am now planning, as of this moment, a Northern mm. Lights trip. Ooh, good call. Yep. Right? Now, wait, how do you time uh, a Northern Lights trip? I would like to know about that. Make sure you actually hit the Northern Lights. Like, how do, what if you go and there's no Northern Lights and you're just like, I'm freezing up here. But, well, oh, my God, look at that. I the, mean, wait, look wait. at that. So beautiful. 65 I mean, drums the one time I've been to Alaska just occurred. Like, mm -hmm. I think it just happens more up there. But I think you can probably, there. They sometimes they predict it. Oh, really? Wow, look at that. I want to mm -hmm. stay in like a freaking glass, gla like greenhouse. I love these like small homes. Uh, I, you so know, I wish cool. there was an investment 
where somebody could scale these small homes, uh, you know, we have blockable, which is doing stackable homes, but not mm -hmm. like ADUs and this kind of stuff. And every time I look at these companies that are making the ADUs, it's very bespoke, not scalable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need somebody who wants to make three models, but they're going to start with one for three years, then add the second one in year four, and then add the third one in year six, but they just churn them out. Here's your like glass box. And they just keep lowering the price and the efficiency of it and put it on wheels. They keep trying. I really wanted to do one of those blue homes, BLU. Like I was like, this is oh, my yeah. jam. I'm going to buy land and then I'm going to do this, you know, mm -hmm. truck in the house. And they're like, you can get them off the grid. They're super cool. But it just, they fell apart. Listen, when you start scaling quickly, your company needs to be run professionally. And Odoo is the software that helps you maintain control of your fast running business. Odoo suite of business apps let you run your entire company on one platform. This means you don't need to keep adding a bunch of different SaaS products. Everything you need is already on Odoo. All you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. We're talking about sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. Plus, if you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you will pay for. Again, Odoo helps you streamline by running all your business apps on one platform. That means no more issues transferring data back and forth and You'll have one customer support contact across all your apps, not 20. And the best part? Well, here's your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Go to odoo.com slash twist for $1,000 off. That's odoo.com slash twist. And then the other thing, there was one more announcement in this Airbnb uh, reveal, which is actually a really big deal for travelers, mm -hmm. which is this thing called Air Cover, which they're oh. uh, calling the most comprehensive set of protections free. Oh protections in travel so you know you book something and they always want you to spend 70 dollars a person on insurance or this or that and the air cover uh if i recall correctly is like if you need to if your host cancels on you they'll find you a new place do we have yep. that can we pull that up the video i mean we were I can't host for a while the and were. we had to cancel on people as is your right as the host and um sometimes it was kind of a bummer but We'd have family in town. We had this extra house that we were planning on selling, but we're Airbnb it while we were selling it. And, you know, we'd have to cancel some stuff. Um, and I, you know, so felt here bad we for go. people, but, you know. So booking protection guarantee if the host has to cancel within a month of arrival, you get your money back. Check-in guarantee if you can't get in to your Airbnb, then I, I don't know, I guess they take care of that for you. If you find that it's not what it was supposed to be. Ah. They'll take care of it and rebook you. They'll find you a similar or better home or refund you. Perfect. And that's like, and then this 24 hour safety line and all of this stuff. But the fact that this is all Correct. included, I, cause that is one of the big knocks on Airbnb is like rolling the dice. Feel you are rolling the dice a little. It's a leap of faith that you're going to show up and it's going to be what you thought you it was. You have to be an adventure traveler. Like that's right. what, but now when the, when the network hits, Maybe you know, Molly, you know, I, at this point, when you see 50 or 100 reviews, you kind of get that sense like it can't be fake. Yeah. Um, and you know, we all know the tricks like you go for the yeah. super host and you read the reviews and you look for the one bad right. review and then you look up the, on satel Google satellite view so you can tell where it actually Ooh, is. The satellite view wasn't part of my, my uh, little kit there. I'm going to add that oh, to yeah. my little utility. That's a good belt. one. Yeah. Because you don't, don't want to find out that it's like in an apartment building that's all under construction, which did happen to me once in Palm Springs. E e e and that's when I added good. satellite. But like, I definitely go to the worst reviews and work backwards. And the always. worst reviews are always like, uh, you know, it's always something stupid. You know, they're just yeah. like, 
the bandwidth was, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, okay, well, you know, it's always something like I, they, I, I asked for a late checkout. They didn't give it to me. F you, you know, yeah. and you're like, but what about the rest? At, I look at the worst one and see if that's something I care about. Like right. in a restaurant, if it's food poisoning. No, thank you. Sure. Sure. <laughs> no, but if the, I always tell but people yeah. like that, the reason why so many things are 3.5 stars on Yelp is like anytime a system gets to scale, Mm-hmm. You have cus- people using reviews as customer support. My feeling is reviews should not be allowed to use as customer support. When it's a customer support thing, somebody should flag it as customer support, like say the restaurant owner. This was a customer support issue. It should move to a tab that says customer support issues and how they were resolved, not reviews. Right. So if you're at Yelp and you're a product manager, Jeremy Stompham and everybody, somebody clip this and send it to Jeremy. It's a free <laughs> idea from Jake. I'm sure you've had it. But I want two tabs, customer support issues reviews if somebody's review is really customer support like they sat us 40 minutes late or they forgot our dessert whatever the the then put that under customer support and then look at the unresolved tickets and resolve tickets and then have the person rate customer support mm-hmm. because bad things happen at restaurants right bad things happen at hotels Always. whatever yeah it's how the person replies to it yeah so if they forgot your dessert or they forgot your salad and then they said, they gave us free dessert, you might be like five stars for customer support. I don't judge customer support by the mistake, I judge it by the response. Yes. Which is also how I manage people. So you don't judge the people by the mistake, you judge them based on how they respond to the mistake or attempt Correct. to remedy it? Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, mistakes, I mean, I make mistakes all the time. But if I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> what's the lesson here? How do I avoid it in the future? And how right. do I make up for it? That's, you know, I think that's the the right way to judge people. So yeah. I, you, I think can you is, take the note? Can you improve from here? Can you, yeah. Are you self aware? Are you are defensive? You, you know, like I mean, it's fine to be defensive sometimes. But you know, at, at first you if you're in a service based industry, uh, which almost all of us are to a certain extent, like well, we all have bosses, you know, I have LPs, right? We have yeah. LPs, we have people yeah. in the syndicate who are LPs. Like if we screw up the K ones, which has always been a challenge for every investment firm K ones just trickle in from companies we just have to fall on the sword hey we got to do better if you're going to be an angel investor we highly recommend filing an extension pre- you know proactively and every year we're going to get better at this and we're going to improve the process but this has been like this is in the weeds mm-hmm. but like the one thing i've had to you know i had to deal with this is like uh, the angel tax list. form that you have to send to angel investors so that they can yes they're properly in account a company. For their investment and their returns some companies don't file a k1 uh, because they don't need to, from my understanding, if there was no profit or whatever. But so when you're in a partnership, you have to file a K1. Okay, you get 300 investments, you got 100 investments, you got like, maybe 50 K1s coming in every year, all of a sudden, your tax returns start to look crazy, which is why like some rich person, you know, Trump or whatever's tax returns got thicker and thicker and thicker, because they might have so many different uh, investments. And then I know rich people who <laughs> Uh, say I'm just not investing in venture funds. I'm not investing in companies anymore because I just want my taxes to be simple. Oh, <laughs> they really? literally are like, "Wow, I'm just putting my money into like an, a stock index because I just don't want to deal with all this craziness and mishugana out there." Mm. But I, you know, I want to just point out the, the great leadership uh, at Airbnb, uh, Joe and Brian and the other and the whole team over there done a great job because there's chaos in the markets and what are they doing? They're shipping features. Yep. And this is a lesson for you all out there. How did Brian and Joe make such a juggernaut here? I've got this a third founder. I his name. How did they build this the relentless focus on their customers and product? 
Just stay focused on your customers, stay focused on your product. It's all going to work out fine. Here we are in a market crash, complete mm -hmm. utter chaos, blood in the streets. And what's our top story? You're just like, you know what? They should go to a castle. Exactly. Nathan. I'm sorry, Nathan, for forgetting. <laughs> um, there's the, there were three, three, three founders, Nathan, Joe, and, um, and, and Brian, of course. Yeah. So congratulations. Just keep shipping product. These are great. And I you'll be fine. And I'm Airbnb is up a little bit today. So congrats. A in, a, in, a mar in a market that's pure chaos, they're up. I would uh, still love a home shipping. swap because mm. apparently I, like Hamilton, can never be satisfied. But I will say these features mm. are cool. Cool features. I watched the whole right. video. I was like, that is, and I found myself saying out loud, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's super cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would do like this is the approach I'm taking here on this well podcast. Uh, I take it with uh, our investments and, uh, you know, the programs we run for founders, you see Founder University, the Climate Syndicate, we're just constantly thinking, like, how do we ship some features? I'm doing it at Inside, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, I, wait, and is there, is there ad revenue something too? about ad revenue? I know, Nick does yeah. keep saying ad revenue. I forgot about the ad revenue. So, I guess, are they so letting someone people... someone asked the question, I guess. They've never, they've never had ad revenue before, mm. and now they have a completely curated place to have it. T Turner Novak um, mm. had a good tweet about it yesterday. Okay. They how have much a place to have it if they wanted to? Well, here's what Turner says. How much Got ad it. revenue can Airbnb generate charging hosts to boost their listings in the feed? So let's say you want it to be a feature listing. So if you go on Yelp, you go on Redfin or Zillow, you go on Amazon, you do a search. What happens, Molly? They copied Google and they have a feature listing. You ever see the sort on Redfin or Zillow is like for you or something? Yep. yep. Or like the default sort on Amazon, whatever. They... They, they make this like kind of weird sort that you can change to distance to rating, what, whatever your jam is, you know, cost, number of bedrooms, square footage, that becomes a, an incredible revenue generator, because people have stopped searching for products on Google, where do they search for products, Amazon, yeah. where do you search for a restaurant, Yelp. Uh, so where do you search for a place to stay, Airbnb. So if you have a lot of searches, uh, where do you search for apps, not on Google, you search for apps on the App Store. In the App Store, Apple has premium listings, clearly labeled. Yelp, I would say somewhat clearly labeled. Do you mm -hmm. think everybody knows those are ads? <clears throat> no. Maybe half people do. I but think eventually you get there, yeah. Only like a third of people know what the ads are on Google, by the way. That's been the biggest scam in history. The FTC should come down on that. Oh, yeah. Remember, they Absolutely. used to be a different color. And then now it's like there's a little ad button. You cannot tell the ads on Google. Yeah. Um, and I this proved is, that, by the way. You know, I did a little study on that. I will say this would be very tricky for Airbnb to implement and the, in terms of host relations, like the one thing I think that has been rocky, and I know this from someone who used to work there, the one thing that has been consistently rocky for Airbnb is host relationships, like the relationships with the people who list their houses on the, on the service. Why? And so if they just, I think sometimes they felt like the afterthought, like they felt like they mm. weren't necessarily the ones that were taking, were being taken care of when it came to someone trashing their house or, oh, yes. you know, insurance for I, that. I actually had that experience, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it is improved, but they don't know, like the hosts felt really screwed by the, some of the pandemic response, right? Which, in mm. which case, in which Airbnb rightfully was like, we will let you cancel anything. You can cancel mm. any booking. And then the hosts were like, oh, well, that's all my revenue, right? So then yeah. there's been a little bit of tension there. And I think if Airbnb were to, mm. and we have no uh, indication that they are, but if they were to let hosts pay for that premium placement, yeah, I feel like that could be politically a little tricky. It could be, um, you know, and it depends on how it's executed. You know, if you're searching 
for Palm Springs and it says, you know, on the right hand column or the fifth list is like, you know, it says promoted, promoted, you know, maybe you'd be okay with it, but I don't think they need to, you know, the marketplace functions so well, I don't think they need to do it either. Yeah. Amazon. um, It's a bit of a game for them because how many times have you searched on Amazon and there's an ad at the top of Amazon. So just go ahead and do a search right now and show everybody if you're like, um, do a search for um, iPhone 13 battery pack. Um, and when you do an iPhone, you know, MagSafe battery pack on Amazon, whatever the choice is, like the best choice, sometimes they advertise as well. And they also have the most reviews. So if you pay for that advertising, you get more exposure. The people who can afford to pay for advertising tend to be the people with the great products. Mm-hmm. And so the best seller or Amazon choice, or I think Amazon they call itself, it. itself, which is like Amazon's choice. Sometimes Amazon's yeah. choice is Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. Go figure. But like, you know, that, the, they'll, put, they'll put like Miami. a bestseller note on it. And the first three are always like the paid ones. And then you go down, it's like sponsored. And then sometimes you'll see here, like there's the, what they call that Amazon choice, the white one mm-hmm. there, the MagSafe battery pack from Apple is the Amazon choice. What you'll see is like sometimes those will be the ones that are actually buying the sponsorship. So there is an idea that SEM leads to SEO. Search engine marketing, uh, marketing buying ads on tw- on Google search would then get more people to visit your site, which would then impact the algorithm because you would have more people going to your site. You would have right. more traffic. You would have more links. So that's the name of the game here. You And it's a little bit incestuous, right? I'm paying you. And that doesn't move me up in the rankings directly. But it does lead to more reviews, which then would move up in the rankings. So if you and I had the best MagSafe battery charger for iPhones, Molly, mm-hmm. and you spent a million dollars on ads a year and I didn't, well, you're just going to sell more. And if yeah. all things being equal for both mm-hmm. four and a half star battery packs, you are going to get higher rankings because you'll get more reviews because mm-hmm. you sold more. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fate complete. All right. Uh, so congratulations to them. If you are a startup, you know you have to save money wherever you can. Actually, you have to save time, money, and bandwidth. All of that is why we love Coda. Coda is one doc to rule them all. In Coda, your texts and your tables can live together, coexist like cats and dogs in the same doc, which means all your valuable data, objectives, and strategies are all in one place. Nothing gets lost, and your team is literally on the same page. Coda works out of the box and it's totally customizable. You can create a wiki for your team, onboard new hires from anywhere, and of course, react quickly to any changes in your business because you just update the page. And there are templates for basically anything that you can duplicate and start using today. Check this out. Our guy Presh just made a beautiful template for our investor updates that you can go and duplicate right now at thisweekinstartups.com slash investor updates. We're already making you more productive. Join the productivity revolution and sign up for Coda today. Head to coda.io slash twist to sign up and get a thousand dollar credit. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O slash twist for a thousand dollars off. All right. In other news, Coinbase released uh, not only their results, but they released a filing that has sent some people into a panic, perhaps unnecessarily. Uh, Stock is down another 22%. This is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coinbase market cap is now just above 12 billion. I'm not sure how much cash they have. Um, it is, I think that's at the bottom. Their total cash is 6.1 billion. So they have 6.1 billion. 14% so. or $1 billion from last year. So their cash on hand is down a billion. 
So if they have six billion and they're worth twelve, the enterprise value is six billion for this company, uh, which is just phenomenal uh, in terms of you know the, how crushed they've been. For reference, last time Coinbase was worth under ten billion was in twenty eighteen. Uh, when they raised their Series E at an eight billion dollar valuation, mm -hmm. uh, crypto is coming apart. Um, but maybe you could explain this nuanced issue of, and again with crypto, as we saw yesterday with the Luna Terra, <laughs> a lot of the stuff going on here. Uh, God bless you if that was a sneeze, and if that was like a um, a subtweet, <laughs> were you like, oh. <laughs> no, 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 that, that was just half and half. I thought you were like a scam <laughs> <laughs> when I said Terra. You were. Oh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> God bless you, Molly. Oh, oh, pardon me. Oh, how rude. Sorry. Oh, so rude of me. Um, when reasonably intelligent people who work as capital allocators and journalists in finance can't understand what's going on, maybe a red flag. I mean, um, I'm not saying there aren't financial instruments in the world that I don't understand uh, and that I'm some chess master here, but Molly worked at Marketplace. I've invested in 300 companies and put over 100 million to work. I think we're reasonable, reasonably yeah. sophisticated, financially literate individuals yep. who work in the field, and we can't understand some of nope. these, uh, <laughs> you know, grifts, <laughs> algorithmic I mean, stable coins. Somebody's lending twenty five thousand bitcoins, and then somebody's pegged to a dog. I mean, nobody can figure this out. What exactly is happening? Yeah, um, and then if you ask a question, people are like, "Oh, you're dumb. You don't get it." Yeah, like, that's adorable, by the way. Everybody yeah. who's like, you're dumb, you don't get it. We're doing this for you, dumb dumb. Yeah, we try Someone to explain out your there doesn't get it. We're trying to help this. We're trying to explain this <laughs> yes. so that somebody either can make money or doesn't lose all their money. Like we're yes. the conduit for the dumb questions. That's our whole entire job. I mean, Coinbase. credit default swaps in the 2008 era. Like a lot of people didn't understand what you were doing. Like, why are you right. putting all these mortgages together in one bucket? Like, and should these people have mortgages and which mortgages and you're swapping them with each other and one person's shorting them like what why are you doing all this like isn't like a mortgage enough like or like a collection of mortgages why do you have mm -hmm. to carve out the subprime ones and then why do you got to create derivatives it's just like when it ever gets too complex somebody's angle shooting is it's what a I flag. i totally agree. so one of my favorite i'll tell the story quickly but yeah. one of my favorite journalism stories of all time which i told in the founder you um, session the other day is the story of Bethany McLean, who is was a fortune a writer for Fortune magazine in 2001. She was at a Enron shareholders meeting, mm. and she was like, "Hey, um, <clears throat> how do you guys make money?" <laughs> like, she, like you're so dumb, lady, and everyone was like, "You're finance an idiot. lady journalist is so and dumb." Then she ended up writing a Fortune cover story that was like, "No one can explain." How Enron makes money. Not Enron, not anybody else. And that was the beginning of the unraveling wow. of Enron because this woman steeled herself mm. to the trolls and was like, there's just one thing I don't understand here. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the f you make any money at all. Yeah. Like, how what does is your register money go into the register? Dull. There's a you have a register? There's a bank what? account? Does money come into it that you get to keep Respect. some amount of? Um who pays so, you? So well, anyway. Like, explain the the I guess this is about if Coinbase were to go bankrupt, which yeah. at a time like this, okay, that's unrealistic. Let's be honest here. They have $6 billion in cash. Um, but people were reading into this, I think, like, wait a second. Why are they making this note why now? Why are you saying this exactly? So, so, so let's as go through. part of a regulatory filing, mm -hmm. basically, Coinbase uh, released some uh, a filing that basically said, 
here's what could happen Mm. if we went bankrupt. Here's uh, what would happen to your tokens if we were to go bankrupt. It basically said that customer tokens could be used as collateral. And uh, Twitter user Nick Winkler of at the Winkler Group says he's an on-demand due diligence platform is what he calls himself. (laughs) Okay, I like it. So uh, broke this down a little bit and said, you know, there's this new language in this Q10, 10Q warning crypto investors, what might happen to the coins? 10Q being a quarterly report for people who don't know. One is when you're filing to go public. 10Q is when you're doing your quarterly. So they they put notes in here. Yep. And he said, uh, quoting from this report, quote, moreover, because custodially held crypto assets may be considered to be the property of a bankruptcy estate. Mm. In the event of a bankruptcy, the crypto assets we hold in custody on behalf of our customers could be subject to bankruptcy proceedings. And okay, that makes sense. Such customers could be treated as our general unsecured creditors. Okay, so, the so if you know anything about bankruptcy be, law, yes. yeah, you they know would that be, they go to the back of the line. Yeah. Okay. So because crypto is not money and it's not a bank account, I guess. I'm reading into this, the if they went bankrupt, a bankruptcy judge would look at the assets, they'd say these Luna tokens, this Ethereum, this Bitcoin, whatever's in there, Doge, is now part of the value here. And if they had, let's say, a, I don't know, a $20 billion loan from JP Morgan, <laughs> like uh, in uh, we, we, we crashed, right? Yeah, and they had this mm-hmm. big line of credit. They could call that line. There's only $10 billion worth of assets. It's the, the Dogecoin in people's wallets. JP Morgan's the senior creditor, I guess. They are first to go out, Molly, right? Am I correct here? So yeah. they would get their money first, which yeah. I guess they're saying that that would be your Doge in your Doge account. Well, it's also not saying FDIC insured. Exactly. Like if you were a bank or yes. if you had your money in a bank and well, if you had your money in a bank and a bank went bankrupt... You would be FDIC insured and you could go through some long process to get your money back. In this case, they're saying there's no insurance. This this stuff is digital. And if Coinbase were to go bankrupt, it would just be considered part of the basket of assets. And the people who have a right to those assets would go way to the back of the line. And if there was any money left after all of these sort of more higher tier creditors got paid, then you might get your coin back. Hmm. So right. it freaked everybody the hell out. And I guess a Twitter user was like, well, listen, they got 7 billion on their balance sheet, uh, which we just confirmed is maybe which 6 billion said. change. Mm-hmm, 6 billion. Um, and this brave new world, world, world W-O-H-R-L-E-D, said they are rehypothecating. Rehypothecating, which is a word we learned yesterday. Yes. Thank uh, God, just in time. <laughs> so if we pull up Investopedia, which does a really good job at this, um, they're so good. They're so good. What is rehypothecation? Rehypothecation is the practice whereby banks and brokers use, for their own purposes, assets that have been posted as collateral by their clients. Clients who permit rehypothecation, rehypothecation, rehypothecation of their collateral may be compensated either through a lower cost of borrowing or a rebate on fees. In other words, like you loan out your uber or google shares for somebody to short them right that would be like yep. i think the the canonical example here if i'm going to use a fancy word the best example or uh, even i mean i think when it gets out of hand it becomes similar actually to packaging up mortgages and reselling them as securities right. so this could be a good thing a bad thing right 
Um, it can be a bad thing when it gets like resold and resold and re- right when it turns into the mortgage swaps. Yeah. It is a very common thing for banks to do, which mm. is you sell, you know, in, in this case, they're saying Coinbase is selling more Bitcoin than it actually holds and thereby acting like a fractional reserve bank. And so the theory, the, the theory that this Twitter user <laughs> is putting forth about how Coinbase could go bankrupt is in the instance where there was a bank run. If everybody took their Bitcoin off exchanges, then Coinbase could be bankrupt because they would actually owe huh. more Bitcoin to everybody than they have in reserve. So in a contagion, like we saw with margin loans, I, I suppose here, if you're re-hypothecating Bitcoin, like a margin loan, would it be called Molly and you'd have to cover it yep. in some ways? Because th- That's what they're saying. I'm reading on the Investopedia here that this was a common practice in 2007, but hedge funds became much more wary about it in the wake of the Lehman Brothers collapse and subsequent credit crunch of 2008, 2009. So this is where those controls start to get put in place, right? Yep. And this is just, you know, interestingly, like we said yesterday, I'm so relieved that we did that interview yesterday because so much more of this makes a little more sense now. And also uh, points to a thing that we were saying, which is that so much of what's happening in crypto, like once you start creating exchanges, You start financializing these assets in all of the same old ways that banks do. And then you probably start to make riskier and riskier bets in all of the same old ways that like banks and the Fed always do. And you could find yourself and again, it's still hypothetical, Mm. but you could find yourself in a situation where there's a run on your Bitcoin and you don't have enough in reserve to pay it back. And this is why a lot of the early true believers uh, in Bitcoin say don't let somebody custodian your Bitcoin, get it out of there. Exactly. And in fact, I was on, you know, all the real stuff is happening, not on Twitter now, but people are moving their conversations to the group chats. Yep. Uh, and so I'm on a group chat with a bunch and of people. Who, some of them are crypto folks. And somebody said, I'm pulling all my Bitcoin out of Coinbase. Oh, really? And I'm going to put it on a cold storage because I was going to do that anyway. Yeah. I mean, somebody with significant, I I would dare say eight or nine figures of Bitcoin that they just have sitting over there. Yeah. Now they don't want to sell their Bitcoin, but just on the news of this, the speculation of this and what's happening in the broader market means people are going to essentially create a run on the bank. In right. other words, they move stuff out. So the re hypothecation hypothecation. Thank you. My <laughs> dyslexia is going crazy. I know. Like this was an Indian name. Also, I, I have never <laughs> heard that word in my life until really? yesterday. And now it turns out it's the center of everything. I love a timing. I, I do. I mean, I love situation. adding a new word. Rehypothecation. So Rehypothecation. Hypothecation. Rehypothecation. The fact that you know somebody who's considering taking that much Bitcoin yes. off an exchange is exactly the s- potential start of the worst case scenario. So let's look at what Brian Armstrong yes. immediately tweeted in response. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Which Pump sounds breaks, a little, you know, yeah. uh, like uh, we've heard this story before. Your funds are safe at Coinbase, just okay. as they've always been. Okay. He says that's the TLDR. Okay. And then he trust, uh, went on to explain this in, in multiple tweets. Okay. We have no risk of bankruptcy. He wrote, however, we included a new risk factor based on an SEC requirement called SAB 121. Oh, the which SOB is 121. A, SOB 121, which is I a don't newly, know is. <laughs> I don't know either, but I like how you call it SOB because it makes yeah. it sound like you totally know. Yeah. Which is a newly required disclosure for public companies that hold crypto ah. assets for third parties. So this is cool. part of regulations, new Good. SEC regulations. It's coming. Okay. We believe our prime and custody customers have strong legal protections in their terms of service that protects their assets 
even in a black swan event like this. Okay, so great. let's parse this because he's saying there's a tier of customers who are going to be at the front of the bankruptcy court line. Got it. For the rest of the chumps, hmm. for so, our retail customers, he writes, yeah. we're taking further steps to update our user terms such that we offer the same protections to those customers in a black swan event. We should have had these in place previously. So let me apologize oh, okay, for that. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Okay. So I think what this means is they have people who pay them to custodian their coins. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are paying a fee. So if you own, if you were like a treasury, like remember when Tesla bought a bunch of Bitcoin? Um, I don't know if they use Coinbase or not. Somebody can look that up. But a lot of times people who have treasuries, uh, they will pay a custodian fee. I think it's like 50 basis points or 1%. So mm-hmm. if you have a billion dollars over there, you pay them $10 million a year or maybe $5 million a year to make sure your coins are safe. And they are the custodians of them um, in some, you know, abstract way that like, they're not assets of Coinbase. They're like, watching them in a, I'm going to use an analogy here that's imperfect, but a safety deposit box. Mm-hmm. So if the mm-hmm. bank goes under and your diamonds are in a safety deposit box, no reasonable judge is going to be like, oh, well, that's an asset of the bank. So, no, they were right. charging you to store them here. It's not like it's, they were, you know, uh, there. So um, I think it's kind of that kind of situation. And then yeah. maybe the retail customers didn't fall into that because they're not paying for it, right? I don't think retail customers pay right. a fee to be, cus- to be custodians and get all these extra things. It's sort of like when you get free software, you pay for Gmail. If somebody hacks your Gmail and deletes it all, mm-hmm. uh, which people have been doing, that's like one of these great Bitcoin hacks uh, happened to a friend of mine, they deleted all his Gmail and then said, Hey, if you want your Gmail back, pay us like 100 bucks oh, kind of situation. Lovely. Um, and you call Google, there's no phone number to call. Now, if you were using Google Docs, they would have backups for you, no problem, we'll restore it, you're paying us $50 per user per year, $100 per user per year, that's our delight to go restore your email account for you. That's what you're right. paying for service. So in a free service, maybe they don't offer that kind of stuff so it's two well, that, tiers of that service. would be like that's me right like so yes. i have my tiny I mean, little yeah. you know i was like i will risk one thousand dollars on this i'll put one thousand dollars <laughs> so on my, black sir i have my teeny tiny little portfolio on corn yeah. coinbase i don't pay yeah. anything to coinbase i just no, went and i bought so. you know some a various little por- diversified portfolio of coins right. and it lives there and so well, would I'm you exactly, pay 10 bucks a year to have would you pay one basis point to have like this kind of backup service like where it's cool. really strong and you get better VIP, you pick up, they'll pick up the phone on the first ring type situation 24 I mean, hours have, a day. I bank with a bank that does that and includes FDIC and, you know, so like yes. the question is, is Coinbase Fair a point. bank? Like yeah. fundamentally, we're going to be starting to ask this question more and more and more. And is Coinbase is a bank? And if it's doing all the same financialization, if it's loaning like out dot. more tokens than quacks it, like you know, dot. owns. Exactly. Quacks I'm like getting a, a real quack yep. quack feeling here. I and I think they want that. I'll be totally honest. I I think the right now, given the state of crypto, crypto is in full free fall right now. Nobody trusts it. If this Luna thing goes belly up, if Tether starts to to shake, I saw some rumblings on Twitter about Tether. Maybe they're going to depeg. Um, you know, and then USDT did and Luna depegged mm-hmm. uh, or broke their peg. I don't know. And there might be. Well, depegged, and then there might be a lot of like institutional investment behind it, trying to prop it I'm up. I'm not making any more pegging jokes. No, no, no. I'm just making that clear here that we know. <laughs> I used to peg my pants in the 80s. Yes, is that what I don't know what that here? means either. I don't want to. What? No, that was when too you many. Would, no, you, you fold and twist, and then you get the little like the. Oh, little I roll. did that too. Sure, of course. And I had my penny loafers. Peg? And I, 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't call it pegging, but, oh. uh, or I didn't peg them, Regional. but I had, um, I had my penny loafers, which I would put two New York city subway topings into. Um, and so then cool. if I was running for the train, I would take them out of my penny loafers. Like I was a superhero. Like I was Spider-Man, Peter Parker running for the train. I'd lift my shoe up, grab the token out of it. Boom. Oh, times I just hopped the term. So, um, I just took my horse. There you go. Kidding, like our childhoods were so freaking different. I know, I know. It's like a country girl and city boy. Really Could they make a I'm podcast like... work? <laughs> Somebody's going to make like Henry Belcaster's making a video now. Um, oh all right, listen. All right. Um, crypto people uh, need oh. regulation today. Uh, ASAP. They want it because this is going to um, be uh, a really challenging time for them because I think retail investors just like they don't trust the stock market right now and they're feeling like ah eh, do i want to trade stocks maybe these things are all a scam blah blah blah. exactly yep. what happened after the dot-com bust guess what that's how people are going to start that's how yes. people already feel about crypto i have and already the reason i put one thousand dollars total into crypto is mm. i've already been through this story once mm. remember my story about the 300 mm. bitcoin that i bought at one dollar each yeah exactly using an exchange called mount gox Hi, and a middleman named called dwalla good luck both of which got hacked all right. and all of that disappeared in the ether. Like I, I know how this ends. To excuse myself, Molly, I yes. have to go to Miami. Yes, uh, you and, do, uh, sir. For everybody who's asking, we are going to release all the episodes, all of the talks as episodes on the all in feed in real time. Producer Nick, make sure you have your squad ready to go. Not in real time. Um, Impossible to do in real well, time. Well, I should say shortly after. So as soon as they're ready. <clears throat> well, and, and I say as soon as they're ready like the day after the next day. So if there's, the if there's 15, if there's 15 of these, uh, you know, maybe over the next seven days to a day would be great for me. If we, and then the YouTube, the audio will be out quickly. Yes. The video will take a week or yes. so because the files are so huge that it takes a while to transfer. So it, hopefully the all in stream goes right to the top. <laughs> We're trying to goose it. So we just have all 14 talks come and you know, like for the press and everybody who wants to come, like we're just gonna, you know, have it. We, we don't have room. I, I took the money instead of your giving you seats. That's you it. Go. You can you get the it's, I sold the tickets to the fans for 500 bucks each and to the capital allocators and CEOs for $7,500 a piece. So <clears throat> sorry to the press. But if I let 50 of you and that would have cost me like half a milli it would have cost me 300 grand. Like you just you can listen to the audio feed. <laughs> All right, go we're, get we're, your flight. That's <laughs> it. That's my feeling at this point. I'm done. I'm taking the cash. Yeah, uh, good for you. Right. <laughs> Molly, See you there. You have, uh, Number one, you have the helm. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain. You have the helm. Who's that? Who is that? Picard Safe to uh, travels. Picard to, to, to number one. Riker. Riker. Riker was number one, right? All right, Riker, you have the helm. I'm gonna go get some Earl Grey tea. Onward. See y'all later. Onward. Onward, boss. See you in Miami. Yes, ma'am. Do I'm that. Leaving. Definitely Let's do that. All right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> um, Ashley Carmen, thanks for coming back to talk about Facebook dropping podcasts, which was your scoop. And led, I think, more than one of us to say, wait, Facebook had podcasts? <laughs> what did I miss? I really didn't know about this. Apparently not. This. <laughs> um, it, when did this, like, like, give US, us the background so. on Facebook podcasts. Yeah, so last year, um, Mike, Mark Zuckerberg announced a bunch of different audio initiatives, including... Maybe you remember like Soundbites, which was like the short form audio they wanted to launch, kind of like the TikTok of audio, live audio rooms, which was their clubhouse competitor that kind of got the most attention. They launched an audio hub. 
And then they launch podcasts on the platform, which is not like a podcast network where they're spending money to buy podcasts, but more if you have an RSS feed, we, you can distribute it through Facebook and people will be able to listen to your show through Facebook. So they discontinued pretty much all of that except for live audio rooms, which they're just folding into Facebook Live. And that was the news. And that came basically a year after the announcements. Got it. And do we think that that was partly because no one knew it was there or that people didn't I mean, necessarily want to consume audio through Facebook? So it's pretty funny because prior to them shutting it down, I actually published a story maybe like two weeks before talking about how they seem to be pulling out of the space, primarily because from what I heard, they were focusing on other other priorities. So like reels and the metaverse, um, shopping. So I think my best guess would be that, you know, those just took precedence. Um, we've seen some other reporting to suggest that. And I would imagine that audio was kind of like a long-term bet that maybe just wasn't paying off immediately. Right. So it really, it was maybe just a business discipline thing. You have to really, if you're going to, you know, like Spotify building its podcast business has involved a pretty massive investment up to and including yeah. exclusives and paying $100 million for talent. Exactly. So I think, you know, you can build a podcast player. They did. I, I am curious, you know, why they didn't want to just keep the player live. If it's just like supporting RSS feeds that already exist. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think they just put people on different resources, one of different resources. Yeah. Um, well, then let's talk about the podcasting space getting more and more competitive because it, it, last time uh, we were here, you shared your theory that Spotify is gearing up to go head to head with YouTube. YouTube since then, like side note behind the scenes, has reached out to us to see how they can better support us as podcasters, not just video. Spotify's team is doing follow ups as well. Like, is this the the fight that YouTube didn't necessarily see coming? I don't know if they didn't see it coming, but at the same time, like they've had podcasters on YouTube forever. And so mm -hmm. I think they just kind of like had that and they were happy with it. And then maybe they recognize like, oh, if we just fold audio only into this as well, maybe there's an opportunity here. So I think they kind of just didn't seize that and really probably saw themselves as a video platform first. Right. Um, so I don't know if they def I, I doubt they foresaw Spotify coming for them necessarily, but I also just don't know how well Spotify's video product is really going over. I'd be curious. Like I always say you and I need to chat off the podcast. I know you really do. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get your email. We you really get. <laughs> we'll just, we'll make that happen. We'll definitely okay. make that happen. Um, <laughs> you also wrote about Spotify's podcasting architect leaving. What are you hearing about yeah. what's happening there? Yeah, so Courtney Holt left. Um, and since then, well, so basically, there's been like three prominent departures from Spotify. There's been Courtney Holt, who left. He kind of like, yeah, helped spearhead Spotify's entire podcast apparatus. Lydia Polgreen left from Gimlet. Uh, right. She was back to the New York Times. Yeah, she went back to Times. Sounds like a great gig. Makes sense. Um, and then Mike McNano, who started the app Anchor, he is also leaving as well. So it seems like there's some big names leaving. It's tough to say whether it's something where it's like, well, they bought these companies. Phase one of Spotify's podcast efforts is kind of over. They're entering now, like proving out the model versus like entering the space. Um, or if it's just like, well, you know, the options vested, the contracts ended, people want to do new things. Um, right. It's tough to say. I am very curious who they bring in and kind of how they restructure the teams there. I know. I wonder, I mean, that hire is going to tell us a lot about whether Spotify plans to continue with 
an audio first play or really go hard for YouTube in that video space, right? Because it sort of feels like first. I think so too. And it sort of feels like what YouTube is trying to do is say, like, we've already dominated you in video. We're going to try to dominate you in audio. And so Spotify should probably stick to those guns because there's no universe in which they're going to come for YouTube on video. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just going to require a lot of different backend work, as you know, like manually updating a video to Spotify and YouTube and doing your audio as well and checking your stats and your analytics across platforms like it just becomes this really big endeavor that i think unless you can prove the audience is there specifically with video on spotify might be a tougher sell i literally see producer tears in our chat right now they're they're like yeah we know this all too well (laughs) yeah well i wonder too how much some of this shuffling and maybe like an increased focus on video because spotify does seem to be sending signals that it wants to be like a media company is about this painful fact that I feel like I've had to confront since 2005 when I started podcasting, which is like, doesn't make that much money. Like, has anybody figured out how to make actual money in podcasting other than be an IP studio for Hulu? I don't even know if that necessarily pays the bills. Um, I mean, it's nice money to have. I'm skeptical that can like support an entire company. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the big question. So since we last chatted, Spotify recently had its earnings. Its stock reached the lowest levels it's ever been. Um, And a lot of that had to do with investors just not believing that this strategy was working out. The the big thing they have to pull off is really monetizing the long tail of podcasters. So getting the smaller anchor creators, um, maybe shows that are not anchor, but are just like, you know, smaller size, be able to monetize those in addition to the big whales like Joe Rogan. Um, they really want to take over the ads business. So until they can prove out that that ad world is working, then yeah, I don't know how easily they're going to make money in the space. Is it, we talk a lot about the the kind of the standards situation and the, the idea that Spotify, in order to be successful, will probably have to break podcasting, right? Like there isn't any way to build a more full featured ad product that I know of without making your own distribution standard, right? Yeah. Does it come further than I thought? They (laughs) definitely promote their streaming platform. um, And yeah, so they they definitely want you to be streaming and not downloading. That's like a big change. Um, I would say they seem to be more open about doing windowed content. I think Daniel Ack mentioned that on one of the earnings calls earlier this year. So I don't think they're doing the full exclusive strategy. And then uh, we talked about this last time as well, but just as a like state of the competition, how is Dark Horse Amazon doing? It seems like they are actually really creeping up in usage. Yeah, it's tough to say. They don't share a ton of metrics. Um, Amazon Music, obviously, you can access it through Prime. So they don't typically share much data about that. But what is this tweet from? What, what, come on, guys. <laughs> oh, this is because I said Amazon was buying. Uh, Amazon's uh, been buying ads apparently for the All In pod, oh, like targeting against, like targeting against um, this specific podcast. So they are getting aggressive. It seems like and getting people to want to come and listen. Yeah, they're doing their best. I mean, they have podcasts that I'm not on. Jason, yeah, they haven't been making as much noise as Spotify, but they definitely have made some acquisitions in the space. They launched a live, uh, like social audio app called Amp. So. They're making right. audio moves and their former like head of podcast at Amazon Music told me that they viewed this on a decade long business plan. So it seems like they're pretty committed to the space. Which anytime Amazon comes into your space with a long play, 
<laughs> they can outspend you, right? I feel like right. even if you're Spotify. <laughs> no one's worried about that. No one's, yeah, Amazon is going to outspend you and we'll see. So what do you think? Okay, who else though? You've also done some reporting, like who else is sneaking into podcasting? You reported that Substack uh, poached one of Patreon's top podcast execs. So like how, how many people, so, is this the, the pivot to podcast? For I think every it's basically media company? that these, all these various creator platforms see subscription as an opportunity in podcasting and they see like the fervent fan base that podcasts have. And so mm-hmm. they're really trying to go out there and I mean, there's only so many that have that fervent fan base. So I think they're really trying to find the ones that do and maybe take them over to their platform. So in Substack's case, they've poached some Patreon creators. I'm sure there's other creator platforms out there that are looking to do the same, either from creators who are like on YouTube and maybe bring their exclusive videos to their platform or something like that. So I am sure they're out there. Um, but really, it's like a creator play. Interesting. Are there enough? I know there are a lot of creators. How are we feeling about talent? Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough. I think it's just tricky because as you probably know, like podcast marketing is really difficult. It's not as easy as... I mean, all marketing is difficult. It's hard to get people to take action on something. But really, it's hard to get action to get people to listen to a show. Mm -hmm. And there's not a great way to really algorithmically promote something. So that's that's where YouTube could be interesting too. It could be, right? Because it also has the infrastructure to incubate and train talent because it seems like the Spotify model in some ways has been not so much to like grow new podcasters like plant yeah. a whole new garden it's been to say oh you already like these people right. listen to them here right. instead and there is right. a difference in the platform approaches like totally grow a whole bunch of new seedlings or just like plant an already established tree and we right. don't know yet it seems like which I guess we'll know in five years. I don't know which of which yeah. of those models is more effective. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> when in doubt, double down on celebs seems to be the, <laughs> the yeah, business celebrities plan are busy. They got stuff to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And they don't, they don't always draw like you think. I mean, I think exclusivity no. is not the, the be all end all as no, some of these platforms are discovering. So yeah. Well, what do you think? Like, we're going to just do sort of regular predictions. As you see right now, Spotify struggling, YouTube coming in hard, Amazon slow and steady and dangerous, and then this kind of other ragtag collection of podcast pivoters. Do you have some winners in mind? I don't have winners necessarily. Um, I do think there's enough to go around, especially when you're a platform like Amazon where you don't need this to totally make your business um but it could be like a nice little cherry on top or it could do some marketing work for you and your shows or something i'm very curious about spotify i think that they've made some aggressive moves to as an example acquire companies i think that's the last time i was on acquire mm-hmm. companies in the ad attribution space mm-hmm. um and i feel like i actually published a little story about this about um the industry isn't just like taking that sitting down they're actually starting to really build third party competitors for attribution and I think that they're moving pretty quickly. So um, that has been like a, a surprising twist to me just because I think we're seeing platforms try to dominate and then the industry being like, actually, we really don't want you to do that. Um, mm. And I'm curious how plays like that will actually end up potentially hurting them. Right. Nobody wants, like nobody ultimately wants the silos and the exclusivity, even though that might long-term be the only way to make any real money here. Totally. It's such so. an interesting trap to be in. And then when you look at Spotify's moves to become sort of a bigger overarching media company, are there any warning signs in, let's say, 
Netflix? Um, <laughs> like subscription for money stars is, is, is tough. a black yeah, hole. <laughs> subscription money is tough. I think, you know, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be tricky. I think getting people to pay, if they can get the global audience down, I think it's audio is a place where they could succeed. There's not that many people fully dedicated to it. It's just a matter of like, can you get people to pay for your subscription revenue? Can you get them to listen to the ads and not skip? Can you bring advertisers in from around the world? Can you continue to thrive in different markets? That's really going to be it. And can you make hit podcasts in case, you know, you can't pin it all with Joe Rogan? Like if he leaves, what happens then? Yeah. I'm glad I'm not in this business. Bloomberg's Ashley Carmen covering. <laughs> I am going to get your email because you are in this yeah, yeah. business. I mean, our producer, it's on my Twitter bio. It's literally oh, like, it? yeah, it's just right there. Just email oh. me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I will see you Sweet. in my inbox and then we'll see you next time. 